Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church on this very rainy but much needed Sunday. We are so glad that you're here and I'm especially glad that you were here today to be here as part of our Confirmation Sunday. I just want to say to you guys, I'm really proud of you all. What you did just a few minutes ago and what you did a couple of Monday nights ago was really brave. The reason I say that is because I'm not saying it's just brave to stand up in front of a crowd. I'm not saying it's brave just to come up and even just stand in this pulpit and read when you're really nervous. But you all stood up in front of people publicly and in the midst of this cultural climate, in the midst of this cancel culture, you said that you are going to trust in Jesus Christ. That's not a popular thing to say these days. There was a time when I was growing up when everybody did it and everybody was expected to say, oh yes, well I'm a Christian, it's just something you did. But you guys today, you guys are having to stand up. You're having to be different. And that's risky and that's brave. And I want you to understand how how proud and gratified we all are that you were willing to stand up and tell people that you are going to follow Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this, though. Today is not the end of anything. Today is the beginning of your walk of discipleship. It actually already started, but but today is not the end. This is not graduation. This is initiation. This is the beginning. We're so glad that we're going to be able to walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ from this day forward. Speaking of brothers and sisters, we want to thank all of your family. We didn't thank the families who were here today. Let's thank you all for getting the kids, these folks, to this point. That is, so, that is such a great thing to be able to come and do this as a family. Well, since Christmas, we have been going through the book of Luke, and today we are going to read from a passage that you might consider a little bit strange for a Confirmation Sunday, and, and I thought it was a little bit strange too until I really started getting into it, because today we're going to read a passage about something that Jesus said before his death and resurrection, and he's talking about the future, not only for for the people then, but also for us and for our world. And this passage today is part of a larger discourse found in Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. If you would find that in your pew Bible, we're going to be referring to that several times. But we're just going to read these first few verses. Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. Jesus was teaching in Samaria, and he was asked a question about the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? 
Well, here's another one of those biblical churchy expressions that we assume we understand, but I think sometimes we don't really grasp. As the eminent Old Testament scholar John Bright observed, for all his repeated mention of the kingdom of God, Jesus never once paused to define it. The kingdom of God was an expression that summed up all of the hopes and dreams of the Jewish people. To them, it was a vision of Israel as God's mighty and holy nation, politically powerful, economically prosperous, culturally sophisticated, and spiritually enlightened, leading the world to God's holiness and deposing evil by the truth of God's law. And in this vision, God's chosen people would be led by God's Messiah, the Son of Man, the blinding, awe-inspiring primarch of divine sovereignty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The kingdom of God was the Hebrews' vision of the way things were supposed to be. It was an expression that captured all their hopes and all their dreams in one phrase. And people wanted to know, when is the kingdom of God finally going to happen? When is God going to make things right? I mean, this is a question about the future. God, when are you going to do something about all of this? And when are you finally going to fix it? And Jesus' answer was this. He said, God has already started. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You see, the kingdom of God is not a political kingdom with borders and armies and taxes. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of the spirit. It is a kingdom of the heart and the mind and the soul. It is a kingdom not just of right now, but of eternity. And God has already started his kingdom by sending his son to change the world. The kingdom of God started with the coming of Jesus. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah has come. But Jesus' declaration that the kingdom was already here, that it was in their midst and that it was at hand was confusing to a lot of people because they couldn't lift their eyes from the problems and the temporary fixes of this world. They saw Romans all around them. Crucifixions were still going on. Taxes were still being taken. People were still being oppressed. How can he say that the kingdom of God is at hand? They expected the kingdom to be political, just like every other empire. But God's kingdom is not like every other empire. God's kingdom is not political, it is eternal. The Messiah is going to conquer the world, but not like Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar from the outside in. Instead, he's going to conquer the world from the inside out. Jesus says in verse 25, if you look down in that passage, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's not going to change the world by crushing you with the sword and with the bow. 
but rather by setting you free by the cross and the empty tomb. He's going to do it not by power, but by love. Jesus did not start changing the world by seizing capitals and taking over governments. He started changing the world by changing us, by changing one person at a time. He started changing the world by changing you, by bringing peace to your heart, grace to your past, restoring your broken soul, renewing your mind, bringing forgiveness to your sins, and setting you free from the fears that dominate your life, all by the power of his Spirit. That's how, how Jesus could say the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. God's already set the kingdom in motion. He set the kingdom in motion in your lives because you believe that God is real, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is our king and we are his people and that he gave his life, that he is in control. And now we're willing to live and die for him. That's how we know the kingdom of God is present. It's present with everyone who sets their, sets their belief in those truths. They asked him, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus said, it's already started and you didn't even realize it. But that was only the first part of Jesus' answer. If we, follow the, if we follow that passage down, we'll see the second part of Jesus' answer. And the second part of Jesus' answer is that not only the Messiah has come, but the Messiah is going to come back. And he's going to finish what he started. And Jesus points to the future with both a promise and a warning. The promise is that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God has started, but the king is coming back to rule his kingdom and to claim his people. The belief that Jesus Christ will come again is at the core of the Christian faith. The earliest Christians proclaimed that one day Jesus Christ would come again to judge the living and the dead. They believed with all their hearts that Christ has risen, Christ has died, excuse me, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And the great preacher and scholar David Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out that in both the brightest moments and the most brutal suffering, those earliest brothers and sisters, martyrs and seekers, knelt on tired knees and lifted tired hands to heaven, and they prayed, Come, Lord Jesus. They lived as people ready to die, and they died as people ready to live. They believed that Jesus' promise that he would return to rule his kingdom with justice and peace and compassion and claim his people, that he would come back to claim his brothers and sisters whom he loves, they believed and they depended on all of that 
being true. They believed in the promise of Jesus Christ, that he's coming back. But Jesus also gave them a warning. And I need you to listen to this, not just you guys, but everybody in this room. He says that the return of the king will be unexpected. And then he gave two tragic examples. He says, it will be like the time of Noah. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They will be eating and drinking and marrying and get, being given in marriage. And no one expects it. No one thinks there's anything wrong. And people forget about God. They start living for themselves and they turn against God and one another. You know, think about the rain today and the lightning. This is when the Bible really starts to get real. You start talking about Noah on a rainy day like this. But then he also mentions Lot. He says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. He's saying the king is going to come back in the midst of ordinary life. But what does he mean by ordinary Lot? Excuse me, ordinary life. Lot was living in Sodom. Noah was living in a world so corrupt that God destroyed it by flood. I mean, these people were living in a world where sin had become so normal and so native that they didn't even notice it anymore. And so Jesus says it's going to be like lightning striking. Nobody knows when or where the Son of Man will come. It will be totally unexpected. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. I want you to notice that in these examples Jesus uses, he is telling us that it will not just be unexpected, that the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming, is serious. Just listen to the examples he uses. In one situation, the Lord destroys, destroys the world by flood. And in the second, he wipes out Sodom and Gomorrah by fire. The situation is serious and the Lord is serious. Sin is serious. Right and wrong are serious. Life and death are serious. Eternity is serious. His justice and his judgment and his holiness are serious. And that's why he says to them at the end of this speech, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That's his way of saying this is serious. The status quo is unacceptable. People nowadays are lost and lied to. They are hurting in their bodies and their hearts and in their souls and their minds. They are outcast, lonely, isolated by screens and harassed by trolls. They are trapped in poverty and systems that break them and keep them broken. They are divided by the false gods of Hollywood, Washington, and Wall Street. This is not the world, the school, the neighborhood, the culture, the city, or the office, or the home God created it to be. And so the king is going to come back to finish what he started. This is serious. When the Lord of Lords returns, he will render his judgment and his justice on each of our lives. 
for those who have ignored, rebelled, or mocked the living God and abused his children, the judgment will be a desolation. But for those who have loved and served the king, who have trusted him with their lives, it will be a confirmation. Those who have trusted Christ, whose sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, have nothing to fear from the judgment. When the King of kings and Lord of lords returns, our trust is vindicated. Our faith confirmed. For those who've given themselves to Christ, it will be a time of revelation. We will finally come to know ourselves as God knows us, to see our lives as God sees them. And we will see how everything that happened in our lives, good, bad, or seemingly indifferent, has shaped us for eternity. And we will finally know that the patience and the suffering and the unpopularity and the challenges and the sacrifices were worth it. So what does this mean for us? It means that the king has come and the kingdom of God is in the midst of us. The kingdom of God is present when we say God is real. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our king and we are his people. He gave his life. He is in control and we will live and die for him. And people will see the kingdom before their eyes in the midst of them. When they see when and where they see us and they begin to believe that God is real because of what they see in us. When they see us follow Jesus out of the tombs that imprison us and shed the grave clothes that bind us. When they see us love justice and practice kindness and walk humbly with God. When they see that we are willing to bet our lives on him even when it's unpopular and risky. And when they see how much we love him even when it's hard, even when we're struggling and crying out to God and we don't hear his answer. You know, last week I was in a meeting in Nashville, Tennessee. And on the last night of our meeting, our former retired chief ministry executive, Rob Weingartner, shared some beautiful insights with us. Rob retired three years ago because of rapidly advancing Parkinson's disease. It's a degenerative disease that that really affects your, your nerves and your muscles. And although he seems to be doing well in one sense, as well as can be expected, he still wears all the injuries of that horrible disease. But in spite of that, Rob shared a beautiful and an encouraging testimony about his last few years of struggle and the challenges of having to leave the work and the life that he's loved so that he can deal with his health and attend to his family. I mean, there he was standing up literally in the midst of our group, suffering every day. And yet he said this, he said, but God has blessed me so much to give me these relationships and these opportunities to serve him all around the world. And then you know what he said? He said this, he said, God does not lead us into places where we will be less dependent on him. He leads us into places where we will be more 
dependent on him. The kingdom of God is in our midst when we depend on him most. Do you depend on God? But also, we have to remember that the king is coming back. Please hear me, beloved. Jesus was not trying to scare the people around him. But he was trying to prepare them for the reality of the world and the truth of the Lord. And so he said that the king is coming back to rule his kingdom. And he will claim his people either when he returns or when he calls us home. I know that this is an uncomfortable subject. But beloved, we have to talk about this. There was an old preacher who used to say that we are not preaching the whole truth of God if we are not preaching heaven high and hell hot. Jesus talked about it. And he was the most gentle, kind, and compassionate, sensitive person to ever live. And he wants us to be ready. Having these confirmation students here today makes me wonder... When is, it start, when is it too early to start talking about this? Is college too early? Is high school too early? Is middle school too early to start talking about these things? Is elementary school too early? Is preschool too early to tar- start talking about the kingdom of God, about the truth of the gospel and life and death and eternity? You know, the the enemy is starting his cultural propaganda as early as preschool now. Is it too early to start talking about the tragic realities of life and the eternal promises of Christ with our own kids? I'll tell you this. After being in Poland twice, it's not too early to start talking to the kids of Ukraine about this. Having been to Israel this past year, it's not too early to start talking to Palestinian and Israeli kids about life and death. It's not too early to start talking to children in Uvalde about life and death or preschoolers in Nashville about eternity. Is it too early for our kids? These students who have been confirmed today have said, we are ready. How about you? Are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready when he comes? Are you prepared whether Jesus comes or whether he calls you home? Are you ready? When the king comes, the question is not, what have you done What can you show me? What trophies have you accumulated? The question is, who is your king? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, whoever surrenders his old life will keep it. Don't be like Lot's wife. Don't turn back. Stick with it. Hold on. Christ is coming. Because thus says the Lord, I created you, I formed you, I have redeemed you, I've called you by name, and you are mine. 
Friends, when Jesus says, or when God says that, he's not calling you out. He's calling out to you. And he's saying, you are mine. Are you ready to say, as these young men and women have, are you ready to say, I am yours? I want you to take a moment. I want you to bow your head. I want you to think about that question. Are you ready? Jesus has already started his redeeming work. And one day the king will come back. Are you ready? Are you ready if he calls you into service? Are you ready if he calls you home? Are you ready if he calls you to speak up? If he calls you to endure? If he calls you to reach out to bless someone else? Are you ready? Are you ready to bet your life on him? If you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray. Jesus, I need you. I know that you're real. I know that you love me and that you live the life I should and that you died the death I deserve. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you have the power to make a difference in my life now and forever. So, so now, forgive me and save me from my sins and brokenness and come into my heart as king. I am yours. And I'm ready. Father, I know that there's some people in this room who prayed that prayer today. And I thank you that the kingdom of God is in our midst. And that whether you return or call us home, we are ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.